Welcome to the Burgle Podcast. This is Jerry Pickney, and today I'm joined by Brad Bobo. Brad, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for having me on the Paragle Podcast. I, I've listened to it, and uh, if I'm being honest, I'm just going to lay it out there. Have, se- have secretly hoped for this invite, <laughs> and, and because um, because I don't ever want to not be connected to this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though you know, I, I said I live in Jonesboro now and have since. 2008 and there's still people down there that i've known the whole time that don't know i live in jonesboro mm-hmm. I, I got asked two weeks ago if my kids go to tech yeah which uh, is where you went right which is where i went so uh thanks for uh, letting me be a part of it still kind of keeping plugged in to the hometown and then you know as we've talked about you know we we talked about before we even got started it'd be kind of cool to, to sit on the other side of the of the uh, table here and get asked questions for a change. Absolutely. Well, if you ever want me on your show to talk athletics, uh, sure. um, I was uh, MVP of the Paragold tennis team my senior high school. So I, I think I recall that. <laughs> yeah. Cause you used to work uh, for the paper. Is that right? I did the Tribune, uh, the Tribune. Was it not called the daily press? Yeah, well, was it there called? were both, you know, this was a two paper town, man. A two pay. I don't remember that actually. Uh, yeah. The Tribune started out, I guess when I first went, to, I started in March of my senior year at tech working for the Tribune. That time, I think, was maybe even three times a week. Probably went down to some point in time to two times a week. And it was different. It was more of a – because you weren't coming out every day, it, it was it was really – that's where I learned the, the concept of community journalism. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a story. It was our job to go tell it. You know, Richard Brum, it's my mentor, mm-hmm. and that taught me the newspaper business. And uh, like I said, I started you know, about two months before I graduated from high school and, and worked there – Really, uh, uh, until the, the day I left to go to work at Arkansas State, side note, I really think the last edition of the Tribune I worked on was the last edition they ever put out. I'm not telling you that's why. Which would have been when? Uh, I guess 04. 04. Wow, we got to go find that. We got to pull that up. So, I, yeah, I worked on and off there from yeah, 95 to, I guess, probably 2004. Okay. Um, was that your first time working with like, covering sports or did you guys have like a radio like or like television kind of program at GCT at the we time? We did. You know, the, the, the tech was pretty ahead of the game. In fact, that they had a student-run cable TV channel even back then. So we're talking now. I mean, it's been going on for over 30 years because it predated me and I was probably in ninth grade 30 years ago. When did you did you help with that? So I did, and I guess I just all this all I can say this is a humble brag, sure. Because at that point in time, and I imagine it's different now, but at that point in time, it was sort of such a novelty that if if you kind of came through in the gifted and talented classes, yep. it was called pace, is what they called it at Tech. Uh, if you went through that, then when you get to the high school, that what the pace classes were doing the TV channel. Hmm. Now, like I said, that it was because it, it was so kind of unique. And y'all were covering basketball then. Yeah, we would we would do that. Um, and, and the truth is, man, for a while I was just in it because okay. I had come through yeah. in that program, and so you know what the heck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we did. Yeah, we did. We did ball games and stuff even early on, and we can kind of talk about how later in the process you know we ramped that up a notch. But yeah, I'm interested in that because I and I don't know if you know this. This is our. our we have some similarities, obviously, not just in the fact that we're both behind the mic interviewing people, but uh, I used to work for the Ram Channel. And so 
when I was, uh, this is back whenever Tony Brooks used to teach yeah. um, at Paragould. I was in 10th grade, and Jimmy Dodd Jr. Up that, at that point had done play-by-play. They had some technical difficulties with the equipment, and Tony Brooks was like, look, this is broke. We're not going to be able to do anything. And Will Brewer, I don't know if you know Will Brewer, who's, I don't know, is he vice president of First National Bank? I'm not sure what his position is, but we were uh, in school together with Dr. Williams' son, Jared Williams, and I said, I could do play-by-play. And Will said, uh, well, if you can do play-by-play, I can get the equipment working. <laughs> and we told Tony Brooks, and he said, give it a shot. And so we went there, and we got it live, uh, Paragould High School basketball game. And the parents called the next day and said, we love having the students do this. Yeah. And so I broadcasted the basketball and football games, play-by-play. Jared Williams was my color commentator. Will Brewer, we traveled everywhere. Did that my 10th, 11th, 12th grade year. My 12th grade year, they actually made it a senior-level credit. And part of that is, I think, because I, I might not have graduated. You've been one short. Know, yeah. <laughs> and so they were like, we'll make it a senior-level credit. Yeah. So, I mean, we knew so little about it when we first started uh, that I can remember I can remember doing play-by-play with a buddy of mine on some basketball games. And, like, we didn't even know to one be play-by-play and one be color. So we literally did it. I'll call it when Tex got the ball. You call it when the other teams got it. And at the halftime, we might have just switched it up or something. I mean, awesome. no, I would like to hear it. There's no telling how bad that was. <laughs> I'm sure they got the recordings. So you, I guess, followed sports, and then you enjoyed – uh, the the aspect of doing the call the games or be involved in that is that what was going on at that point was like I, it, it all like I guess it was all pretty organic because like that part like my childhood in terms of being a little kid and doing what I do as an adult they don't match up okay I could not play dead in a western <laughs> from an athletic standpoint uh, my athletic experience was a year t ball one more year after that and I don't know if it's six or seven. And fifth grade basketball, I was on the B team, and it was it was totally political. The only reason they stuck me on the B team is they didn't have a C team. <laughs> and I don't, I literally, I don't think I scored, even that. I don't know that I scored yeah. a basket the entire time. And I never played another organized sport. Didn't have parents who were either athletes or sports minded people. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing that's carried over from my childhood to now is being a wrestling fan. You're a wrestling fan. Oh, yeah. And by wrestling, you mean wrestling? I like wrestling. Sports entertainment. <laughs> how, long you've, how long have you been into wrestling? Forever. Really? Yeah, forever. You still watch it? I, I do because uh, I've got, you know, my kids kind of got me back in it. Is it still Or I got good? them back in it. Uh, it's not as good as it used to be. No, it, it's no. really, it's a really cyclical business and it's on a down cycle. But like I just, uh, you know, at the tail end of January, I took my. Uh, he just had a birthday, nine now, but he was eight and six. The three of us went to St. Louis to the Royal Rumble. Wow. Top three wrestlers of all time in your mind. Just your favorite. Jerry Lawler. Okay. By I mean. Yeah, the king. Uh, for me, then I, you know, go Ric Flair. Uh-huh. Um, Have you seen and, this 30 for 30? Oh, yeah. yeah excellent. And um, His flops. Oh, that's the best video on YouTube. I don't yeah. know about a third, honestly. because But it's Jerry Lawler by so far. Uh, because so far. here's the deal. And, and, and I just, I turned, as we're recording this, I turned 45 yesterday. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. And so I'm on the youngest, I'm on the younger end of people that grew up watching Memphis wrestling in its heyday. Yeah. Okay. Most people that did that are older than I am. But at that point in time, I try to explain to people who didn't know it or get it is that we had three channels. Mm-hmm. 
you didn't have you couldn't watch the Cardinals every night. There were no there were not that many sports on TV. The sports program people watch was from eleven to twelve thirty on Saturday on Channel Five. It was that that wrestling show yeah. that would I mean at one point that show drew like sixty some odd percent of the houses in that market watched that show. What did you like about Jerry? Well, he was the best player on the hometown team. Yeah, he was. He was. He's Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Period. And so, I mean, and I didn't, like I said, even that didn't come from my parents. It came from my grandparents, my dad's mom and dad. That's where I got watching wrestling. Do you remember a wrestler in Memphis by the name of Ken, long blonde hair? Ken? I don't remember long his last blonde name. Hair. Just I, say, is that a Native American name? <laughs> so, it's my wife's second cousin, and he used to wrestle in Memphis. And so, wait, there's actually YouTube videos on His name's not Ken, long blonde hair, is it? <laughs> You're descri- you are describing <laughs> no, him, right? I'm describing him. He's just Ken. He's like it's an Indian name. Oh, Ken Longblood. <laughs> I don't even know his last name. Uh, anyways. Uh, yeah, we, we, yeah. we Google him after it's over. But, so, a- anyway, um, back to kind of being interested in sports. After that, you know, what I think happened is, um, you know, as I kind of got up, you're talking, you're 12, 13, where you're kind of hanging with your buddies. I was with guys then who did play a lot of sports and this was right as, you know, Michael Jordan was taking that step mm-hmm. from young phenom to championship winning guy. So the, you know, the bulls first title is 91. So I'm 14 yeah. and it's about 10 where you're, you're I'm all in. And so that, that, that probably as much as anything had to do with kind of getting more mainstream in sports. I mean, I, it, because, you know, I, I mean, you know, I was a band guy seven years. Mm. Saxophone, alto sax, tenor sax, bassoon, drum major. So, how did you get into ASU? When, when did that happen? Like, at what point? As far as like a yeah, in well, terms of fandom. Yeah, or well, just, that yeah, let's, let's actually start there. I wasn't going to go there, but have you been an ASU fan like your whole life? No. Okay. I, I, and, and here's the thing: I, I like every other kid that grew up around here my age had no exposure to it. Okay. Okay. I mean, you know, I just like the rest. You grew up hearing about one college team. Not, and it wasn't the one 20 miles down the road. Mm-hmm. I knew, you know, and there's a story associated from the, the, the precise day I knew I was getting into broadcast. And from that point, I knew I was going to Arkansas State because of the program. But even then, I, I never attended an Arkansas State game and sat in the student section. Everyone I went to, I was credentialed, and either on the sideline or in the press box or something. Never sat in the student section one time. Um even getting out and getting to work probably was of that opinion. Oh, it's okay to love everybody. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Keedy, uh, the, the Hall of Famer, the late Bill Keedy, one-time coach of the Paragold Bulldogs, long-time coach of the Newport Greyhounds, Arkansas Hall of Famer. Uh, when I got around him, he sort of I, – I just think, without even meaning to, he taught me how I was supposed to feel and think as an Arkansas State alum. And I just sort of just, you know, just went from there. And you what know, do you mean? How you're supposed to feel and think? I mean, that's my school. Um. Period. It's where I went. Uh, it's the place that you know helped serve as an economic engine for this part of the state. Uh, you know, there's only 130 towns in this entire country that play FBS football, mm. and one of them's here. And that shouldn't be taken for granted. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? 
Why is it taken for granted? Yeah. It just, um, I don't mean this term as harsh as it's going to sound. Brainwashing. Not even intentional, but just you're talking about generations of people that only heard about one team. Uh, they've just been hardwired. Uh, yeah. And it's nobody's fault. It was just, it's just how it went. It's all, the, it's all that got covered. It's all you heard about. Do you think winning over and over and over changes that? Or uh, It can, and it did. I mean, our, I mean, obviously, you look at the decade Arkansas State had in the 2010s, mm-hmm. and, and you see the, the ground that was made. So, yeah, winning, there's no end to the list of people whose jobs are made easier by winning. But – but you're fighting a big time uphill battle just from a perception and a coverage standpoint because it, because you're generations deep of it being covered as lesser than. Hmm. So how did you get into covering them? So, um, and this this ties back to Paragold. I'm uh, working for more media. I'm working for those guys, uh, Brian Osborne, Dina Mason. When it becomes more media. And in uh, 2003, the AD and the assistant AD come to Paragool, go to Tower Drive to meet with Brian Adina because, and we're not talking 50 years ago, 2003, there wasn't a station in the Jonesboro market that would carry A-State women's basketball or A-State baseball. They... My boss now, Bobby Caldwell, had to go lease a station that would that would cover Jonesboro to carry A State football and A State men's basketball. None of the big, the two primary radio groups wanted anything to do with it. Hmm. So they came looking for a place to put A State women's basketball and A State baseball, and uh, the agreement was that hey, we'll carry them on KDRS AM, which you had zero prayer of hearing in Jonesboro at night. But they're on the radio, but and our guy's going to call them. And so, you know, that was the plan that in uh, you know in the fall of 2003, I would start calling A-State women's basketball, go to baseball after that. And then about uh, two weeks before the football season started, um, they called me and asked if um, – and I, if I, I can almost remember – I think it was at Fox Hills when I got this phone call asking if I'd also be interested in, in traveling – with football to go as kind of their on-site producer and engineer, set up the equipment, be in the booth, make sure the wheels stayed on. Mm. And so, you know, it started you know, then that 2003 football season. Uh, jumped in, first trip with Arkansas State was down to Texas A&M. Wow. How long did you travel with the team for? For how many years? Still do. Just finished my 19th. Oh, you still travel with them? Yeah. Are you just, do you just travel with football or are you doing baseball as well? I, now, I, now I just travel with football. Uh, as things have evolved, uh, you know, I did, I did 12 years of women's basketball radio, uh, just the one year of full-time football or baseball, but I've, I've been involved with the football broadcast, you know, in some kind of capacity the whole time I've been, and, and what's kind of cool is, uh, I, you know, I've been the producer, the spotter. I've gotten a chance uh, two times I've had to be the play-by-play guy. There are a couple of times I've had to be the color guy, uh, just kind of in a bind. Uh, the last, I can't remember, five, six seasons, I've been the sideline guy. And um, and then there was a game, two games at the end of the 2021 season, actually the 2020 season, the COVID season, mm-hmm. where our color analyst was actually in quarantine with COVID. 
we uh, Matt Stoltz, the play-by-play guy, and I, I did uh, color from the sidelines. Wow. So, and it was really fun. I mean, he just kept the you mic the up the whole well time. Enough now, do you feel confident? You've watched it enough that you're like, I, you I can just hold can, on. I mean, yeah, and there's some, and, and there's some, you know, parroting of just yeah. stuff you've heard or, yeah. some, you know, but, but you, you just pick up enough to, to get by. What's been some of your um, best memories of traveling with the team or, or maybe favorite stories? So, my very first game, 2003 season opener going to Texas A&M. I'd never, you know, and I, mean, I had traveled places, but not like this. We never been on a charter flight. Uh, go down. They stay at a uh, resort in Lake Conroe, Texas. And this is actually the trip where I met Bill Keedy, and uh, he and I and the guy who was the play-by-play guy then, a guy named Billy Morgan, uh, rented a car and drove to Houston the Friday night and watched the Astros and the Padres, but. So I, it comes game day. I've never been to an away football game. And here I am at Texas A&M. But that place, at that time, it's, you know, I think 78,000. It was two or three renovations ago. But still, at that time, 78,000, a bunch of people. And you walk in and you see uh, on the tables, you walk into visiting radio booth, welcome to Kyle Field, home of the 12th man, blah, blah, blah. Don't be alarmed. The stadium uh, will sway during the Aggie War hymn. Wow. And I was like, nah, you know. And so there comes this point in time. Everything at AM from a fan standpoint is kind of scripted. I mean, the motions and the chants and the yells, and it's really kind of not my bag, but it's pretty awesome that they got it <laughs> so down. But there's this point in time where they, you know, you you put your arms around everybody beside you and they just sway back and forth while they play the Aggie War hymn. And as you're looking out from the booth over this, the way they're all swaying makes you feel like they're moving the entire stadium and you think well they can't be so i remember turning around looking at the back wall and it's swaying so literally they move the entire stadium when they do that that's wild jeez that's engineering school right yeah yeah that's that's the same thing i'm thinking yeah (laughs) that's pretty crazy what else comes to your mind when you think about traveling with a team stories that you'll hang on to we go to LSU the season after they win their first national championship. That's my, I think, 04, my second year traveling. Because I'd gone to LSU my first women's basketball season for a tournament. So I had just been to Baton Rouge the year before. And it, it's a little bit silly, but it's now just kind of uh, part of the deal is football teams travel with a police escort. Now, every football team? Pretty much, yeah. You travel. They, the police escort will pick you up at your hotel and guide you to the stadium. Why is that? I don't know. Okay. But, I mean, it doesn't matter what. I mean, this past year we went to Washington and 5 o'clock Friday traffic on the interstate in Seattle is blocked so the Arkansas State football team can come by. That feels pretty cool. It is. But I, re- I, I had having just gone to LSU, I realized this police escort took us past the exit that kind of went straight to campus. So this is different. They wind us around, and after a while, you realize they're taking us a path that takes you through the most tailgaters because this is Saturday night in Baton Rouge. They're the defending national champions. So you start picking up these people, you know, a good mile out from the stadium. They're lying in the streets. And when you're a mile out, they hadn't been there that long. So they're just kind of – they might just wave at you. The closer you get, the, the longer they've been there, 
So they're not waving, at least with all five fingers. <laughs> but here's the and the whole time it doesn't matter. Even back the people that are waving, they're pointing at the bus and they're chanting because we're in three buses and they're chanting tiger bait, tiger bait, <laughs> tiger bait. And the closer you get, the longer they've been there. The longer they've been there, the more fun they've been having. And as we get closer to the stadium, I mean, we're in the third bus of three. We're running our windshield wipers because wow. that's how much stuff so they're much throwing at the bus. You. And they would wait. They'd get out and road. They'd wait just long enough for that mirror at the front to to get past them, and then they bang on the side of the bus. So that would be intimidating, man. So we get to the stadium. <laughs> and this, uh, Kevin Corliss is the defensive coordinator at the time. Steve Roberts is the head coach. Yeah. They get off eat their respective buses, and Coach Corliss goes, man, Coach, that's uh, the first time I've ever been flipped off by an eight-year-old girl holding a beer. <laughs> that's, that's, and, I mean, that's pretty much on the money. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Is that the best team that you've ever seen ASU play against? Oh, man. That team? You know, he, I, I saw um, – you know, Cam Newton made his first start at Auburn against Arkansas State in their national championship year when he went on to win the Heisman. Uh, Marcus Mariota made his first start at Oregon against Arkansas State. And that was maybe the the best performance I've seen another team put on. It was like watching a video game. And we went to Oregon. You could just tell they were different. And it was the Gus Malzahn year. And apparently – uh, Gus Malzahn and Chip Kelly must be really good friends because Chip Kelly slammed on the brakes. They could have scored 100. And uh, and I don't know if there's photos involved or what, but some of, he really, really pulled up. Uh, so it was fun. I mean, watching them was impressive. Um, and he said, seeing, you know, even though you know, Auburn was ranked like 23rd first game of that 20 uh, – 11 season mm-hmm. when uh when cam newton was there so you know nobody knew what was about to happen oh, yeah. but i i can remember you know steve roberts coming up to me after the game saying that's the best football player i've ever seen live in my life yeah he was an incredible college football player um who would you say is the best athlete you've seen come through arkansas state well, i mean i'm gonna ask the two ways you can answer okay. one is who is maybe yeah uh, um let me ask about this who's the best Who's someone that you thought like this guy's going to go pro, maybe a girl or whatever, and then like just didn't pan out? But then who's maybe someone that you're like weren't even on the radar and ended up be, like surprising you with how good they became? Uh, it's been fun to watch the evolution of Demario Davis. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a kid that I mean, at one point early in his career, almost didn't make it at Arkansas State. I, mean, I didn't know that. It, it just you know just. Wasn't going to make it, and it just – I think he came to a crossroads where he figured, hey, you know, things got to change. Mm-hmm. And I can remember he's a sophomore, and we're playing at Iowa, and he gets an interception, and he takes it to the house, pick six. And as he's about to score, he turns a somersault into the end zone. Whoosh, flag. Touchdown counts, but unsportsmanlike conduct. And, of course, I'm there, and but you go back and watch the TV broadcast – for the next 10 minutes, anytime they went to the A-State sideline, it was a different coach chewing on Demario Davis because we had to back up 15 yards mm-hmm. on the kickoff, kicked it to Iowa. Now, this is not the end of the game, but it's just sort of how things could unfold. Kickoff to Iowa. 
which, you know, they're going to get great field position. Mm -hmm. They eventually on that possession kick a field goal, and we lose the game by three. Now, that doesn't mean that was the three we lost it by. Yeah. But it's just an example just in in after making a great play. Yeah. One goofy decision. You know, put your team in jeopardy in the ensuing possession. But then to see him evolve personally and as a football player uh, to now what he's doing on and off the field. Incredible, yeah. I mean, he does more off the field than on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm so uh, proud to know that guy. And, you know, there have been a lot of examples of guys that, especially from a football standpoint, that that the A-State guys that, you know, either didn't get drafted or got drafted and didn't stick, that I just said, I don't understand. I, I've, I've long given up knowing what an NFL player looks like or what those guys are looking for. Mm. There'll be guys that just were sure-fired getting drafted, going to make a team, and this didn't happen. Um, you know, it, it, and there's, there's been several. And then, you know, one example is, you know, we had a guy named Raheem Bingham um, that was the defensive player of the year in the league, and we go to the Arizona Bowl under Coach Anderson. And, uh, you know, Raheem, he's a senior, and you would think had a great chance to get drafted, and he tore his knee up in the bowl game. That – Changed my perspective now on these guys that if they're you know you see more and more guys just skip their team's bowl oh, game yeah. if they're not in a playoff yeah, yeah. game. My my thought on that changed standing in Arizona on the sideline that day because all Rodney Bingham had to do is finish that game and he's going to be a pro football player and he tore his knee up and and I just I've never cared less what the result of a football game ended up being. It was just sick. Everybody was just sick. and Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the team doctors, you know, they couldn't do an MRI on the field, but our, our doctors are great, mm-hmm. uh, including Jeremy Swim, Green County Tech, class of 1995. Mm-hmm. And when they walked out of that tent, I'm the sideline guy, and they'll they'll do a great job of telling me kind of, you know, what's going on, but also what's going on in a way that what needs to go in the air. And then it might be what needs to go in the air, but here's kind of what we're really looking at. They didn't have to say a word. They walked out of that tent. I could see their face. They knew. And so. Uh, that's, that's sad too, man, because I don't know about, uh, this isn't true for everybody, but for a lot of these athletes, it's a way out of poverty, right? For mm-hmm. their family. Well, you watch, did you watch the program? Uh, no, I've never the, seen that it. movie, the program yeah. from back in the day. I know what you're talking about, but I never watched it. Same thing happened. They got a, you know, stud defensive lineman that is always going to get to the NFL and buy his mom a house and he tears his knee up. Yeah. And that's a, yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah. Are you glad that athletes are able to get paid now? I think that's good for the game. <laughs> I think it's really complex. Um, I understand that they've made moves to try to give the players more power, you know, empower them a little bit, give them more flexibility. But, uh, man, I, I think we may have overshot it. Um, you know, right now you can walk out the door. I don't know, this is not about – NIL stuff as much as it is about the transfer portal stuff. You know, there are no windows. There's no time you can't do it. You just any day in time you can just say I'm out of here and is there's it, nothing is this that somebody be say about hurtful it. to Arkansas State. Do you think? <clears throat> I mean, I don't think it's gonna. I just think it's gonna get everybody. You know who it's really gonna be hurtful for? High school recruits. In what way? Uh, because now more and more recruiting is going to start in the portal, and there's just gonna be. Fewer spots available to high school guys. Now, what's going to happen? There's going to be a trickle down. Now, guys that uh, guys that maybe 
we're a fringe SEC guy, Arkansas State can sign. Now maybe guys that Arkansas State was signing, UCA and an FCS team can sign. And maybe guys that UCA were signing can now filter down and they may play for the D2s, a Wachita, a Hardy, and Arkansas Tech. So, I mean, there's still places for them to go, but at the at the FBS or Division One level, the high school recruit is who's getting hurt by the transfer portal. How many uh, how many hours are coaches working to have to recruit these days? It seems like it's just it's uh, roughly. I can tell you from uh, Butch Jones and his staff, it's roughly um, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year, recruiting. And it, that's wild. And so these guys, I mean, they're just flying all over the country, sitting in living rooms, going and watching their games, talking to parents, yeah, whatever, I mean, whatever it takes, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Arkansas State, as we're sitting here, had a you know had a really good young wide receiver going to portal this week who uh, he went, he made his announcement he's going in there on Monday, and by Tuesday had tweeted out, uh, yeah, I don't know, probably Tuesday tweeted out ten different offers, including uh, four in the SEC. Wow. And so now, staffs like that, like you know, Louisiana Lafayette and the Sun Belt, their coach Billy Napier just got hired at Florida. When he was putting his staff together, he hired a a former NFL personnel guy, whose job is the transfer portal. Hmm. So you're going to see more and more people that can pay for it are going to have dudes who that's they're in charge of just keeping tabs on what's going on in the transfer portal, who's coming and going. It's crazy. Sounds necessary, you know. Yeah, it's a new world. It's different. That's what I was going to ask you. Is that? I'm guessing that's one of the answers. But how has athletics, and specifically, I guess ASU athletics, changed over the last 20 years for you? Like, what have you seen? Some of the biggest differences are. Um. Yeah, that's one. It's and it's um. It's it's just big business. You know, the whole thing is, um, and not that it wasn't the case, but you know, it is now more so. You know, the, hey, the thing that benefits me great is the evolution of uh, streaming because, you know, now the thing I get to do is a ton of play-by-play on ESPN+. And so now, you know, for five ninety nine a month or whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you're an Arkansas State fan, you can watch essentially every game, not just every Arkansas State game, but every game of everybody in the Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that, that has been a big change social media has changed it just from a standpoint is that there's, and I don't know, it changed it, but it's just something that's different is that there's just so much noise, Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, from, you know, keyboard cowboys and you know, nameless tough guys. It just that, you know, you just, everybody knows what they would do to turn the team around. Oh yeah. I mean, it, social media has not just given everybody a voice, but it's given everybody a voice and the incorrect assumption that people cares what that voice is saying. <laughs> you give people the voice in the radio show. I, I right? do. <laughs> You're right. I do. So, um, but you know, I, not a, not a, not as much. Um, you know, I really want to be an interview driven radio show. Um, uh, you know, my, my show is three hours divided into four segments. So that's, you know, a perfect show you can't do it because you can't keep that pace up but a perfect show for me if i'm looking at a 12 segment show would be the first segment kind of just setting it up last segment just kind of wrapping it up and 10 interviews in the middle yeah yeah next you can't do it. it it's you know it's impossible to go at that at that pace but i would if i could is murray watts still calling in 
He told me to uh, ask if you uh, wish that you could be with him every day. You know, Murray Watts at one time was supposed to be the first person on that show with me. Uh, our, our, my bosses had talked to Murray Watts, and, and he was going to be the person in the studio with me He's a good every dude. day. And uh, as Rise That was getting ready to happen, he got that job at Arkansas State. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I love me some Murray Watts. Uh, was a, he was a good athlete, right? For he, yeah, he was. He had a heck of a career there. And I loved loved his dad, too. Uh, he yeah. would come on and talk Jonesboro youth baseball stuff every year, and there were sign-ups. Mike would want to come on, and uh, you know, and he was such a, a good dude and, yeah, he and cared so much about kids getting a chance to play baseball in the area, and yeah, that's, that's a big hole in, in that part of the world. Oh, no doubt, man. Yeah, Murray and, and uh, yeah, the Watts family have been a – yeah, continue to be a, a blessing to me. Uh, Murray's a great athlete, but I'll I'll leave this up to you sometime. Have him on the uh, the drive and have him talk about the time he played in a home run derby against me. I'll let him tell the story. I will. Though and it, doesn't, love, it doesn't end with him winning. What I love is that Mike said you know, when Murray was a kid, they just eventually, just whatever travel team he was playing on, they just gave that coach a copy of his birth certificate because, <laughs> huge, man. yeah, because he was, you know, three times bigger than every other kid. And they'd, every term we went to somebody said, that kid's not eight, that kid's yes. not 10. And they'd have to, you know, yeah. here it is. <laughs> yeah. And Murray, man, the thing about one thing I learned, him and his wife, Lakin came into our church before they moved to Salt Lake city, whenever he was still in the Royals organization. And of course he's known as a hitter. But in Little League, he was like throwing no hitters and stuff too, yeah. as well. And we got talking, uh, and David Gunn actually affirmed this. We had him over, I guess uh, last week. We we're talking to dinner, and he and he was saying the same thing of like, you know, everyone thinks their kid's going to go pro, or they want them to, right? That's why like youth sports is just insane mm-hmm. right now. And Murray said this, Coach Gunn said this. If you can't look at a kid usually by around ninth grade and go, he's different, like they're probably not going D one. And if they're not going D1, they're not going pro. Now, there's exceptions to the rule. Yeah. Right? There's exceptions. But like, most of the time, you're going to be able to look and be like, that guy's just different. And, you know, for whatever reason, I'll go back to this. You know, Coach Gunn can speak to this because he was there when they recruited guys like Demario Davis and didn't out-recruit anybody to get him. They recruited Ryan Applin. Didn't out-recruit anybody to get him. And that's part of why uh, I'm interested to see what happens to Coach Gunn because, you know, they didn't do what they did at Arkansas State, which was lay the foundation for what followed, by out-recruiting everybody. They did it by going and getting guys that maybe not everybody else was after and mm-hmm. developing them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I can't wait to see that kind of – if he can take that player development model, how they did it at Arkansas State, and, and bring it to Paragol. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see. You know, they open up uh, first game against Tech, and Tech absolutely thumped them. Um, I don't remember what the score yeah, was. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was. It was. I don't know if there's ever been that big of a discrepancy. Uh, I would in say my no. Entire life. I don't. There's probably not Tech been one. I don't know if there's been one in the history of the series, and I don't know how bad Paragol beat Tech. You know, early on, Tech started football in '74, I think, and you know, Paragol was pretty daggum good back then. Yeah, that's and good so teams, I bet man. they. I mean, I bet they beat Tech by some pretty big numbers, but. I don't know if it's that big. Yeah. So it'll be a uh, – you going to be there for that? Do you know? Well, it just depends. I mean, I, depends on what, what, the, uh, we, what weekend Red it is. Are doing. Yeah. yeah. It's, I know it's Tech's only non-conference game. That'd be a good one to go to. Um, how? Let me ask you this. What do you think the biggest lessons are you've learned over the last 20 years? Uh, covering sports, just being involved with these different great coaches, great athletes, just being in that world. Yeah. Um, Mm. Doing the radio show, all of that. Like, what, what do you, as you look back over the last 20 years, what's some of the big lessons you've learned or lesson? Um, 
You know, I already talked on it once, but probably, and it's it's not the answer you were looking for, or probably the 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 realm you're looking for. But to me, it is just goes back to everybody's got a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that goes back to to working at the Tribune and and Richard, you know, teaching me how to do the newspaper business at 18, and uh, what a valuable experience that was for me to go through the entire time I'm working in the newspaper business, learning that I'm going through the radio TV program at Arkansas state and, you know, keep learning that. So just the, the fact that, you know, everybody's got a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's my job. And in this case, your job to, to go pull it out, find a way to cultivate that. Even when somebody tells you, good luck, that, that person won't say five words. What do you, what advice would you give to somebody when it comes to pulling out a story? Well, first off, okay, don't forget I asked that question. Okay. But I want to just think about how profound that statement is that everybody's got a story. And I think how better the world would be if we believed that. You might not have meant it to be profound. But I remember whenever I I grew up white middle class, somewhat sheltered kid here in Paragould. Mm-hmm. Here's what I think about when you make that statement. Here's where I'm going. Like when you say everyone's got a story. I, without even realizing it, would judge a lot of people based off of what I just saw in their life and thought, man, I would never be that way. Or if I was in their shoes, I would dot, 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 right? But then I started working um, in a counseling agency, and I went into the homes of these people that whether I realized it or not that I judged. Yeah. And then I would get to know their story by asking questions, and I would suddenly go from being maybe condemning them to being compassionate towards them. And a lot of times I, I just could even empathize and be like, man, if I would have been where they are, I would probably be in the exact same situation. And, and I just realized what you said, like behind every statistic, behind every number, behind every whatever, there's a, there is a story. It's just there. like just like this podcast, you listen to it. I bet you three-fourths of the stuff we've talked about in this podcast was not stuff you anticipated talking about. Right. It's just where the conversation yeah. went. I had a I had an interview first part. Matter of fact, before A State went to Washington this year, I got uh, Robert Spear, retired state trooper, who played football at Arkansas State. He's done a great job of keeping me plugged in with some of the guys from the past because he knows I'm one of the guys interested in that part and keeping that part going. So there was a guy that played football at Arkansas State named Joe Holloman, who left from Arkansas State. He's actually from Truman. Played at Arkansas State and went on to play in five great cups in the CFL. Great Canadian football career. Successful businessman now in Seattle. And the reason I was going to have had him on the show the week before Arkansas State played at Washington. Because his alma mater was coming to his hometown. And so you're going to get Joe Holloman on and you think we're going to talk about playing at Arkansas State and playing in five great cups mm-hmm. and this and that. And what I end up finding out in this, again, where the conversation went, you didn't know it was going. And by just having a conversation, instead of a bullet point list of questions we're getting to no matter what, is that he was the first scholarship black athlete signed at Arkansas State. They had had a guy, David Mitchell was the first black football player, but he had started out as a walk-on. Mm. Joe Holloman was the first black athlete signed to a scholarship. Arkansas had come and watched him play a game but didn't have room for him because they had already signed a black running back. Mm. 
he grew up over on Judd Hill, basically on the cotton farm. No running water, chasing down jackrabbits. Brothers left in the middle of the night to go to Chicago to get off the cotton farm. This is 1970. We're not talking mm-hmm. antebellum. We're not talking turn us in 1970. And and the reaction I got to that interview, the number of messages and texts, just people go, this is unreal. That's not where you plan on it going. No. I plan on t- Hey, coming to Arkansas State and playing in five great cups. And, and it was just, it, it was, man, it was cool. Robert, you know, I always got to bring this up every podcast. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Love it. Oh, boy. Me too. Love it. Um, Watched it through twice. Same here. Uh, my favorite scene is when he's playing Rupert from Darts. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, be curious, not judgmental. Oh, yeah. And I think that, that is we've lost the art how to do that. And so we automatically walk into a room and we assume we know what we need to talk about. We assume we know what the answer is going to be. We assume we know why that's going to be the answer, right? And we just don't have any natural curiosity. Would you say to someone who's listening to this, I don't, I think like, man, everybody wants to be heard and everyone has a story to tell and you don't have to have a mic. Like Mm -hmm. I I think it might be a a great world. If we like, if, if people, if they took that away from even our shows of like, get to know people's stories but a lot of people, we say that, like, well, how do I do that? Like, you know, like, it seems like just having a natural curiosity is a big part of it. Would you agree with that? I can't tell you many times if, if it's a waiter or waitress or just some random person across paths that we just have reason to end up just kind of standing around and go, so what's your story? And, well, you know, and, 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 you know obviously, whatever you're getting to is probably not coming right there because it's such a random question, but it just yeah. kind of just gets the thing going. You know, my, my go-to, if I'm talking to a high school kid that you're having – Trouble pulling some out of you know that I go to that I know is going to get that's going to get the juices flowing. Mm. What's on your pregame playlist? Mm. Now chances are it's going to be something I've never heard of. Sure, and chances are better it's going to be something we can't play on the show to tell people what they're talking about. <laughs> but just something to kind of get yeah. get the conversation going. And you're meeting them where they are. That's yeah. important. You're, you're talking about, talk be, about something they know. Be about. curious, not judgmental. And you talked about kind of how getting to work in a counseling service. I mean, I don't. I'll tell this story on myself. I'm a senior at Arkansas State. After, you know, graduated 1995, Green County Tech, class of 151. We're in a senior-level radio TV class with students I've gone through this entire program with. Sitting around, years almost over, we're almost out the door. We're sitting around talking, and they tell me, you know, when we first got here, uh, you you wouldn't talk to us. It was the black students, hmm. and I listen. I mean, I, there's no, and I'm not the least bit racist because at that point I knew I was going to work in sports, and that's mm-hmm. that's not the right field. Yeah, if you're racist for a racist, yeah. you know, yeah. you're going to be a very diverse group. Yeah. And the black students that I went through the radio TV program with, so when we first got here, you wouldn't talk to us, and I didn't even know it. Mm. But I had never been around black people. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation, you know, a couple of years ago during the the, the heart of, uh, you know, social unrest and the Black Lives Matter movement, and I wanted to get somebody on the other side of the story. And I talked to a guy named Carlos McCants, played football at Arkansas State, uh, in the in Miles and Freeze Malzahn. He, he was in that stretch when Arkansas, the, the really running good. 
He came from Mobile, Alabama. And I knew it'd be gold to get him on the radio because, and, and it was, and all we did was he came on and we just sort of swapped stories. I had never been around black people until I got to Arkansas State. He'd never been around white people until he got to Arkansas State. Mm. And, and so just for us to share how different the experiences were, how different our upbringings were, uh, to hear him tell that basically two weeks prior to that, he and his wife had pretty much gotten stopped in a traffic stop for being black. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, this was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was some eye-opening stuff. When I was, uh, there was a semester I was on the debate team at Arkansas State University, and Chris Harper was my uh, debate coach. And I remember the first practice he said to me, hey, Jared, are you, uh, are you pro-life or pro-choice? And I said, I'm pro-life. And he said, okay, today you're going to argue pro-choice. And I was like, I can't, I can't do that. And he's like, well, then you're not ready to argue for pro-life. And he's like, because you need to be able to do the work to understand why anybody would ever be pro-choice and put yourself in their shoes and be able to argue for what they would argue for before you even have any right to be able to go and express your opinion in a way that actually they should receive, you know. And uh, that just always stuck with me. Mm. And I think like there's just, we just don't do that. You know, I don't know if it's fear. Like we just don't, I don't know. Like we just don't have a confidence in why we believe what we believe or what it is, but we just have such a fear of sitting down with people who believe absolutely differently than we do or look different than we do and just putting ourselves in their shoes before we talk and do the whole, which what's happening on Twitter, right? Or Facebook and me telling you everything you need to know mm-hmm. without me or even knowing you or asking you a question. So, yeah. That's, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything to be added to that or not, but I, I just think what you're doing is if you can take that practice of, Everyone has a story. We apply that. It's a better world. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, like I said, so. and you don't have to have a podcast or a radio show to do that. Just right. at some point when you're sitting around with somebody, yeah, then just ask some questions. Figure, they, they, that that person's done something interesting. One hundred percent. Oh yeah, there's one hundred percent. And there's something you can learn from them. That too. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah without fail that yeah, happens every how, time. And that's how this podcast even got started. Is you know I've shared this before, but I used to interview. Uh, people I take them out for lunch just because I want to learn from them. And a lot of times I'd walk away from the lunch meeting or whatever and be like, ah, I wish we could have recorded that because that was some good stuff. And those are things I want to hold on to. And I, I want to go back and listen to it. And I want other people to be able to listen to. And that's how this came about. So, um, hey, I'd love to end here. I know you've got a radio show to get to. Uh, we have a, just a list of questions uh, that we ask guests Come on. every single uh, episode. So here we go. This is our rapid fire. Number one, what is the last show you binged or book that you read? Uh man, show I binged it was probably uh, second watch through of Ted Lasso because well I watched it um, on flights this year and then finally and, and then eventually gave up on my wife volunteering to watch it and so one night we're yeah. sitting there just started it again and got so her going good, so we could get through. You it still again. never watched it, right, Robert? That, that's correct. That, what do you, what do you like about Ted Lasso? I mean, just the unabashed positivity. Yes. That's why I think, man, you would enjoy it. I'm sure I would enjoy it. And, and it's just, I mean, I like it a lot about it. You know, to be, you know, it's um, it's not about soccer. No, no. So no, if you're no, watching, no. I'm not watching some show about soccer. Well, okay, don't. But yeah. you can watch Ted Lasso. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the backdrop. It's really good, man. Uh, and the book, man, listen, I'm one of these people. I'm really bad about I've got a really impressive collection of books that I've read about <laughs> two of <laughs> And, 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 and I don't take great pride in that. I wish it was more, um, 
the last I got for Christmas was Unguarded, Scottie Pippen's book. Which, which I don't know because I'm not that deep into it. He, but I mean, he didn't waste around. Like he started ripping on Michael Jordan in the forward. So uh, that's gonna be good then. Yeah. So I can't wait to see where we go from there. Um, what is uh, your favorite band, or maybe a favorite song, or favorite genre of music? You know, I'm pretty eclectic. Uh, my wife and I, and I would, and I wouldn't even tell you I was a big concert guy, but like we've seen since we've been married, we've seen. Um, Rod Stewart five times because that's her favorite and she's younger than I am. So how that happened, I'm not quite sure. Uh, we've seen Garth Brooks four times cause that's probably my favorite. Yeah. We've seen Michael Buble twice and that's absolutely awesome. Um, you know, I like, I like to go watch a, a, a good musical. Um, yeah. I, I like, I, I was a big like southern gospel i mean mm-hmm. not, not even contemporary give me old t- i want to know they're singing about the lord that's because you grew up out in walcott yeah it makes you feel like you're at home <laughs> that's it was, it was when i went to brown's chapel it was i mean it was gonna be you know 179 and the heavenly highway <laughs> handles was do lord and that baby's gonna be out every week uh did you seen the bass notes i was all over the place uh, <laughs> oh that's excellent what's your favorite meal huh <sighs> Well, you, I mean, look, you're sitting across from me. <laughs> it's not, I mean, that's, that's not a short list. Okay, you only got one meal you can have, though, man. That's it. What are you going to eat? It's your last meal. It can be mm. anything you want. I don't know. Are my kids with me? Because it is no, going to be pizza. No, it's just you, man. Okay. It's just you. You know what's going to be funny? I don't know what the main course is going to be, but you know what's going to be on the side? What? Macaroni and tomatoes. Macaroni and tomatoes, Which man. in my house and yeah. my family is just called... Red noodles. Yes. And I'm telling you, and this is something else. Like my love of wrestling, this goes back to my grandma and grandpa Bobo too because you had that every meal. Yeah. If you were having pork chops, deer meat, it was with red noodles. That's so true. If you were man. having sandwiches, it was with red noodles. You're right about that because I, my great-grandma uh, called her Mimi, Delilah Sears, the DeMar Maduke, Arkansas, always red noodles. I would forgot about them actually. I still but do. Now I, can, I, I still can do. taste it. Every right. meal. Man. Not every meal, but I mean, it, it's it. aside for whatever. Red noodles and a little Hulk Hogan leg drop, and you're in heaven, right? <laughs> Jerry Lawler fist drop, please. Oh, that's right, yeah. The, the leg drop, by the way, it makes no sense. It, it, this, is, it makes zero sense. We've had sense. this conversation. We have much. had this conversation. I know this is this podcast, and this is the rapid fire, and it's about you, but let me just get this off Come my on. chest. Why is it that every single wrestler can leg drop you, and you're fine, Hulk Hogan does it, and you're out? Yeah, you can't Look, get up. Please tell days. me how that the, happens. The Rock is the biggest movie star in the world. His finish was an elbow. John Cena, 16-time world champion. His finish was the fireman's carry. You, you know that? what mine would be? What? If I was a wrestler, my finishing move would be the dead leg. <laughs> <laughs> and you would just, they'd be like shaking on the ground. Oh, my God, eat him with a dead leg. That'd be it, bro. Because that's, that's the equivalent of the leg drop and the yeah, elbow. But, but it all, everything goes back to my grandparents because uh, – this was a simpler time where we we had lunch every Sunday at my grandma and grandpa Bobo's. Had an entire family ate every Sunday night at my grandma and grandpa Newsom's yeah, on my mom's time. side. And but we're my grandma and grandpa Bobo's. Nine times out of ten, the, we're, number one, we're having red noodles. Number two, the conversation was who had crossed Jerry Lawler and was paying <laughs> the price for it the next night, Monday night at the Mid South Coliseum. Those are great memories, man. And so, and, and two is kind of circusing back around. You know, my my grandma too. Uh, 
God love her. She's gone. Um, and she was my, she was my biggest fan and, and not that, I mean, and she didn't have a ton of competition, but she was. And, uh, I'm like, she had all these grandkids and would just tell anybody that listen, I was her favorite. That's great, man. Unabashed. You're not supposed to have a favorite, but Brad's my favorite. What a boyhood, man. And red but, noodles, Jerry, the King lawyer and unconditional love. But she, but she and I went to the, uh, NEA tournament the NEA. during the Christmas break. And we that's my brother's birthday was New Year's Eve. That was the used to be the day of the finals. Tech and Paragold or Tech and Ridgecrest, take your pick. We're almost always playing each other in the girls' final. And me and my grandma would go watch basketball and then come back for my brother's birthday party. That's awesome. Hey, what real quick, was there a time there was a time was it Memphis wrestlers who came to Reynolds Field House? Yes. At Green County Tech. That was a Memphis wrestling. Was, right? Yeah, and it happened a lot, but this particular time you're probably talking about. It was in the I'm 90s. assuming. You know what? That was um, in I think November 90s. of 91. Yeah. First thing I ever did play-by-play for was that was Memphis that, wrestling coach. I was they let us. I was in ninth grade, and they let us. Is that the highlight of your career? Well, it was the start of it. They let us set up our little – we weren't ever going to broadcast it, but they let us set up our little setup and – and I did play by play on that card of Memphis wrestling. First, first thing I because I know the only reason I know it's because I I've got it on VHS. It's dated, and I knew that this past November was the it was November ninety one. So we just hit thirty years. Wow! Since God, uh, I, I did my first play by play. I just want to take this moment to congratulate all the listeners who are listening on an episode where we have talked about wrestling far more than any other episode <laughs> we've ever recorded. I, so, um, all right, next question. Uh, what is on your nightstand right now besides a picture of your grandma? <laughs> so, uh, man, a lot. Number one, that Scotty Pippen book. Uh, 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 so there's a, a charging tower with, you know, multiple plugins and places to put in yep. uh, phone chargers, watch charger. There's a lamp. Uh, there's a uh, uh, the little wooden box that I keep my wedding rings plural in because I've got – Two or three of them. Oh, nice. Um, depending on which wife. No, I can't. <laughs> no, but uh, I was going to ask uh, the question, but I thought that's uh, too cheesy. And no, then you did it. I yeah, appreciate it. it. Yeah. And I mean, just mostly crap that doesn't belong on there. Yeah. Okay. The right the on. note my wife. That's a big nightstand. The note my wife gave sure me for my for my birthday yesterday is on there. Mm. That's good. She didn't give me a card. She gave me a handwritten note in the old school way. That with a little oh, tab really? that wrote "pull That's here," cool. yeah, like a little and then, swan and then, or something. yeah, and then, and then had like "write me back." P.S. Write me back at the end. That's really cool. That's cheesy. You thought the wedding ring line oh, was cheesy. Hey, no, that's awesome. That's how so that pick, is awesome. My first girlfriend, who's now my wife, that's how I picked her up, too, uh, was with a note, <laughs> just like that. And then, the hey, shape write, of a swan. Write me back. Well, I didn't do that, but I was like passing it down the aisle in the band, so... Those were the good old days, right? That's I can now say that I'm 30, you about to be 39 years old. Mm. And so the days where you didn't just text, but you actually had to put in this a labor of love, man, to tell someone what you think. Yeah, it drives about. me crazy for my teenage kids to text me because I'm like, what are they teaching these kids? Oh, There's, I mean, the next period, those jokers use will be the first one. <laughs> and like, holy cow. And especially from a, you know, a writer, a guy, yeah. I mean, the, the, the lack of grammar and punctuation just makes me want to throw the window out or throw the phone out. You should see my sermon manuscripts. That's about what the grammar's like. And I married an English teacher, so it's terrible. Uh, last two questions. Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. So just an ordinary moment. Other people might overlook it, 
but it brings you a lot of joy? Uh, just really being at home uh, with with you know my wife and kids and um, and that's pretty you know that that's because it's, it's hard to come by at mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for example, as we're recording this, uh, I went through a thirty-one hour stretch uh, from two thirty on this past Tuesday to nine thirty this past Wednesday. We're in a thirty-one hour stretch. I was in the press box at Tomlinson Stadium for 15 of those 31 hours. Jeez. And so just uh, a, a, the snapshot, just something simple that's fun yeah. is just being home. Right on. Last question. Um, what is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? Oh, just, man, everything. I, I think about and, and you're probably not supposed to think of it like this, but sometimes um, I find myself – thinking my life is so good that the other shoes got to drop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I mean, I'm not, that's not talking about being rich cause we're absolutely not, but just the, the just uh, with the job I've got and the place I live and the wife I've got and the kids I've got and the friends I got and just all of, it just, it, it just, I, I, and I'm not kidding. I literally think I get in my own head sometimes thinking it can't all, I mean, Mm-hmm. It's, something's got to give mm-hmm. doesn't work like that I don't think but I, I still have you always have you felt like that for a while or is that news you've gotten older to where you're just able to be content with the life that you have because I think when you're definitely in your 20s I think even someone in your 30s because I'm still there like I said I'll be 39 next week but it's easier to feel like the grass is always green on the other side or there's always more to obtain or the mountain you know I got to climb a little bit higher like have you been content with where you are for a long time or is this something new um, to that extent, I'm talking about, it'd be more recently. I mean, you know, last handful of years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say it was like that in the, in the twenties or whatever, but you know, I used to think when I, when, when the things that happened that happened to me that let me know I wanted to be in sports journalism, you know, I thought I was going to be, I was going to green County tech. I was going to Arkansas state. I was going to work for WGN, going to work bulls games, probably end up at ESPN. And that's, that was the path. Um, it, you know, and it, as stuff just unfolded, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, I mean, I've got a pretty niche job mm-hmm. and to think that, that, that I've spent now 27 years working and never gotten further than Jonesboro, as far as having to live to do it in such a niche mm-hmm. profession, that, that's. That's pretty cool. I don't care that's if you thought awesome. you were going to ESPN or not. I mean, that this is that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Do you find yourself um, when you talk about the you feel like sometimes like man, my life's so good, the other shoes got to drop. Like I, I tend to, I can get there sometimes, and therefore it can keep me. This is just me, and I'm going to ask for your advice on this. It can keep me from living with a certain level of happiness or joy because I can be guarded to where it's like, um, if I'm living up here. And then the other shoe drops. It's a really far fall. Yeah. It's like if I can kind of stay a little bit more even keel and the other shoe, like it's a little bit faller. It's a bit, I mean, it's a little yeah. bit shorter. It's like, so I don't know. Do you wrestle with that at all? And if not, like kind of what is your mindset that allows you to be like, no, like my life's not only good, but I'm enjoying it right yeah, now. Yeah. I don't know. I do think I, I do think I'm probably able to, to go through and not get too high or get too low. I mean, I, I mean, even though you think stuff like that, um, I, I don't, and I don't know why or how, but I do. I mean, 
I, I do think like I'm I'm the one that can convince my wife, hey, all this stuff you think's really bad is is not. Here's what's mm-hmm. going to happen. It's either this, this, or this. Mm-hmm. Something's broke. They made more of it. You know, mm-hmm. if something scratched, it heals. I mean, just that sort of thing. And I don't. And there's no secret to that. I just. I mean, it's. I don't know if you just, it's the way you're wired or what, but yeah. Uh, yeah. The other thing I struggle with along those same lines is, and it's really no different than the first comment. And this is when you really got block out. But I, I'm, I am, I'm 45 years old. I, I've been so blessed. All the worst moments of my life are ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Now that you know, so yeah. that's when you really got block out because yeah. you you, yeah. you ruin your day. Yeah. No, you're right, man. You're right. How do we keep that from ruining our day? Just enjoy the good. Yeah. yeah. Live in the moment. Live in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Live in the moment. It's it's easy. I mean, uh, I don't want to spiritualize it, but I do think it's like no, it's, where, it's where Jesus, uh, his teaching in Matthew 6 is so, and this is not a spiritual podcast. And sometimes it goes there, sometimes it doesn't. But I just think that whether you believe in Jesus or as a Savior or Messiah, his teachings are still spot on. Like in Matthew 6, he just talks about like, don't don't think about the future too much. Pretty much he just says like, Tomorrow's got enough, you know, today's got enough worries of its own. So just live in the present, literally, and don't worry about the future. And just know, like, whenever it comes, God will provide. Whatever it is, whatever that comes your way, like, when you get there, God will be there. And they'll, and they'll take care of you. And I think, like, for me at least, like, I, I, I'm i a Christian, but, like, I get comfort from that of just knowing, like, okay, like, yeah, don't live too far out in the future. I can't remember who said it, but it's like, 99.9% of the stuff we even worry about never happens anyway. Yeah. So it's like, don't get out there too far. I try to make it a point sometimes, and like like most everybody, uh, you know, probably don't pray as much as you should because you probably pray without season, right? Mm-hmm. But in all that, I do at some point, whether it's laying in bed or whatever, sometimes I, I want to make sure that I say a prayer that's, that's two words. Thank you. Awesome. And that's it. Don't ask for anything. Don't t- just thank you. Go on. Well, that is a great place to end. So, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I saw today on Facebook we have 327 mutual friends, but we've never really had a chance to sit down and talk. And so now at least I consider you uh, a friend. And so glad we had this chance to, to meet, to talk. Hope we get to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. And that was Brad Bobo. We'll call that Brad Bobo Part 1, because Part 2 is coming. Absolutely. Wrestling. 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 <laughs> That's exactly right. Brad, thanks so much for coming on, man. We truly are, I can say, as a Paragodian, I'm very proud uh, to call you one of our own. So um, it's incredible to see what you've been able to do. And so thank you for making space to be here. Hey, if you're still listening, um, we really appreciate you tuning in. If you have not already done so, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. That'll help people find us more quickly and learn about the amazing people living in Paragold. Also, if you've not done so, you can check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we have an email list you can subscribe to. Go to our website, paragoldpodcast.com, uh, and check that out. So, as always, we really appreciate you listening. Until next time.